0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If the Center for Disease Control finds itself not being taken seriously by anyone, they have only themselves to blame. As we start to see light at the end of the COVID tunnel, and there is light at the end of the tunnel as more and more people get vaccinated, I think you have some of these public health outfits that have just decided they are going to... Well, they are not going to accept reality and they are going to continue to be overly cautious, which would be fine, except they can't explain why they are being overly cautious. For example, over the last year, we have been told that, okay, indoors, you have to you have to be six feet apart and you have to wear masks. That was the that was the goal of opening school. We we couldn't have schools open because in a lot of cases they couldn't do the distancing. All right. Well, first we got the CDC saying, well, okay, as long as you have the distancing and people wear masks, there's no problem with opening schools. But still, there was blowback from the teachers. Well, President Biden, and I'm, I'm with him on this one, wants to get the schools open because virtual learning is, is, If it's unfair to say it's a failure, it's not a good alternative. So mysteriously, last week, the CDC, after a year, now changes its guidelines and says, well, you know, we know we've been saying six feet, but now three feet as long as people wear masks. I'm like, "Okay, well, where where did that come from? And, and, you know, when did this suddenly change? And I don't doubt that it's probably three feet, but what does that mean if, if it's, if it's now three feet for schools? Doesn't, doesn't that mean shouldn't it be three feet for businesses and bars and restaurants? And, and what about baseball stadiums and things of the like? It, it's just kind of the, these things change without any sort of explanation. Well, a week ago, the CDC came out and they announced their new guidelines saying that even if you have received both of your vaccinations. So you, you've gotten the vaccination, you are still not supposed to travel. And in it, it wasn't Anthony Fauci's finest moment. I, I watched him, it was a CNN interview of all places. And they said, well, doctor, explain to us why if somebody has been va- received both their vaccinations, why is it that they, they can't travel? And Dr. Fauci really kind of hemmed and hawed and said, well, we, 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 he didn't give an explanation for why this was because it's almost impossible to figure out an explanation for why that would be. Once you've been vaccinated, and if we were told that the vaccinations have a 90-some percent, you know, effectiveness rate, why shouldn't you be able to travel? And they can't articulate a good reason for this. Well, anyhow, that leads me to where we start off the program, which is if once you've got your vaccinations... I mean, are you going to have any hesitation in traveling and isn't the CDC be clowning itself by continuing without a good explanation why to suggest people not travel? Now, here is my experience. My wife jumped on a jet this morning to go to Florida. I took her down to the airport. Um, Her flight was like 620. So we got there about five o'clock and normally you get there about five o'clock and it's no problem at all. Got to Mitchell Field this morning around 5 o'clock, and it was like rush hour in Times Square used to be. The place was packed, and I was actually she, – she took a – I dropped her off and you know, got her bags out, and then she went in, and the, the, she was taking pictures of this. Now, I think what had happened is because there's been this big storm – that's been moving through the western part of the country over the last couple of days. Lots and lots of flights have been canceled over the last couple of days, and so they've been rescheduled for today. So you had all these people that were regularly going to travel today, and then you had all the people that had been trying to get out of Milwaukee or get somewhere for the last two days. They were there. My, my wife said... Um, when she was going through the TSA line, uh, we have TSA pre-check and she's that wasn't bad. But there were several hundred people, you know, waiting in line at the regular TSA line to, to go through. And it was one of those where it was like, glad we spent the money to get the TSA pre-check. But the, the place, the airport was packed at least at, at six o'clock this morning. So if if there were people that were paying attention to these CDC guidelines of don't travel. You couldn't have found them at the airport this morning because people were, by and large, just getting ready to, to go about their lives. Now, I don't know how many of those people have had COVID and had antibodies. I don't know how many of the people that were there had been vaccinated. But the bottom line is, people are starting to feel comfortable to travel now, and they are, in fact, doing that. And you're starting to see air travel come back, and you're starting to see it come back in a big way meanwhile you have places like the cdc saying well we don't think you should travel even after you've been vaccinated without being able to explain why our number 855-616-1620 that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line all right once you have been vaccinated can you think of any reason at all why you would not travel i mean once you You can no longer get the disease once you can't contract it or the odds say that you're not going to. Is there any reason at all to tell you not to go back and start living your own life? And I'm not talking about the mask rules here. I mean, if if the airlines want you to still wear masks, that's fine. But the basic premise is once you've been vaccinated, once you have that immunity that's there, why shouldn't you get on an airplane? why shouldn't you travel around? 855 616 Haven't heard any good reasons why this is, and I think that the public health officials that are telling people not to do this without being able to offer a compelling explanation for why you shouldn't be able to do this are just making it more difficult to take anything else they say seriously. 855 And like I say, if you were at Mitchell Field today, not too many people paying attention to what the CDC is saying with regard to travel we discuss in a moment
0: back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 855-616-1620.
1: 855-616-1620. Jeff, not only should Americans travel after they've been vaccinated, but they should just go back to living their normal lives. Nobody has given a good reason why we shouldn't. I've stopped listening to the CDC a long time ago because they're giving us the same old tired advice they've been pounding into our heads for a year. We are smart people. We know what we need to do to be safe, and we will do it. Leave us alone and let us live our lives. 855-616-1620. Debbie, Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good. What do you think?
2: Well, it's my understanding that the vaccine only prevents you or protects you from being hospitalized or from death. But there's still a chance you will catch it. And they don't understand yet whether you can transmit it to someone else. So I think all the precautions we've been taking up to this point need to be continued until we're sure that and, we can't pass it along to those who aren't vaccinated. Well,
1: well, well, but but Debbie, okay, then let 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 us assume that, and they don't know that. I mean, but so you know, and I don't know that they're ever going to know that. But but they don't know that. But okay, so what about if I'm not vaccinated? It, and I simply it maintain the same precautions that I've been. I wear the mask. The people that are vaccinated wear a mask. We maintain the social distancing apart from each other. What? Why is it that somebody that's vaccinated shouldn't be able to travel as long as if I'm unvaccinated, I'm doing those things to protect myself?
2: Well, Protection comes from both parties being uh, masked and taking yep. a social distancing. Yep. So the same reasons we shouldn't have traveled prior to vaccinations, I think, still pertain to today when only a small portion of us are, ra- are vaccinated.
1: Well, I guess, I mean, th- thanks. To, I, I, I appreciate that. But I think that that's, again, we're talking about angels dancing on the head of heads of pins. The, the, the idea, it, it is a theory right now. It is a theory that people who are vaccinated can still somehow transmit this but i I don't know that anybody's proven that but that they still they they don't know but i guess you got to admit it's got to be less likely or else there's no reason for you to go get yourself vaccinated so then all right you're vaccinated i'm still you still wear the mask got to wear the mask on the airplane for example that's the rule you're somebody else is wearing their mask you're maintaining the social distancing how is that person who's been vaccinated creating a a reasonable risk? And unless the CDC can come up with empirical evidence that demonstrates that this is a problem, yeah, I think it's tough to take them seriously, especially since this guidance continues to change and change depending on the political winds. Like I say, we've been told for a year, and I'm not talking about the beginning where they said you don't need to wear masks. I appreciate the science changes, but suddenly we've been told for a year, you've got to maintain six feet. Now it's like, well, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not, you can be within three feet. It's this changing thing that I wonder, is it really about science or is it more about, uh, again, the, the the politics of this? Joe Biden wants to open up schools. I'm with Joe Biden on opening up schools. One of the reasons that you're getting pushback on that is they're saying, well, in some schools, you can't have that separation. You can have the kids wearing masks, but you can't have them six feet apart. Now they might have to be three. So then the guidance mysteriously. Well, we've now decided it's three feet. It's not six feet. Um, Jeff, could the reason that the CDC doesn't have a reason to limit travel be that the CDC would have to acknowledge that the shot doesn't actually work? No, I don't think so. I I think it's the opposite. I think the the shot does, in fact, work. And and here... Here, to me, is the problem. Matter of fact, we might talk about this a little bit later on. Now, the big thing is we've got to get people vaccinated. And and I don't disagree with that at all. And the spin that you're getting out in some of the mainstream media things, it says it's those evil and stupid Republicans who won't get vaccinated. There's this big story in The New York Times today that pretty much says exactly that. This is this huge problem. And you've got Fauci that's saying, well, I I need Donald Trump to come because, you know, he he needs, even though he's been vaccinated, he, he needs to call on his supporters to be vaccinated we need this key well okay that that's all well and good but but if at the same time you're going to say to people we need you to get vaccinated and then even once you are vaccinated you know even following all these other rules we're still going to tell you don't travel or do things like that the response is kind of like well why 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 bother getting vaccinated in the first place if it's not going to significantly change the way that you're able to operate and the idea that well even if you're vaccinated and it means that you're you're not going to you're not going to catch it or the likelihood is that you're not going to catch it maybe theoretically you could spread it but they don't have any evidence that demonstrates that i mean no empirical sort of evidence. Jeff, the CDC has lost credibility. I've gotten both shots, and I'm being told to live with masking up, etc. There seems to be minimal or no incentive to get the shots. Um... Yeah. I mean, see, that's that's it. They, well, the CDC says they don't have enough data to know if you can transmit the virus to others. Well, but they don't have evidence showing that the people who have been vaccinated have been transferring the virus to others. There, there's no data that suggests that. So that this idea that, well, you can have it. You can have the vaccine, so you're not going to get it, but you could still become part of a superspreader. Well, if that's the argument you're going to make, you darn sure should be able to document it and you know, they they don't. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't, you know, follow these other sort of guidelines as well. But from the perspective of somebody For example, and I've said this before, who's had COVID, haven't had my shots yet, my vaccinations yet, because I haven't been eligible. I'll get one as soon as I can. But I've got COVID. I've I've had COVID. I had the antibodies. I I wear the masks, maintain the social distancing. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not worried that I'm going to be reinfected. Because I understand that, in theory, there are a handful of examples where people who've had it get it again. But that is not be apparently true in any sort of significant numbers. I feel comfortable going out while I'm administering and following all the other guidelines. And I do know that once I get the vaccines, I'm going to feel comfortable traveling. And I'm here to tell you, there is this reality that's out there. Like I say, go to Mitchell today and you would have seen... Hundreds and hundreds or maybe more people all traveling standing in lines next to each other people wearing masks and things like that going through the TSA line. They're not taking the CDC rules seriously. And maybe you can say, okay, these people are dumb because they're not doing it. Well, I think maybe it's because the CDC rules Aren't keeping up with reality, and if you want to give people an incentive to go and get vaccinated, which I think is really good advice, well, maybe what you need to do is you need to give them that incentive more so than just well, if everybody's been vaccinated, maybe by the Fourth of July you can gather together outside for a small barbecue with your your family. I mean, that's you know, that's just it. Jeff, there's a preliminary study out of Israel states that vaccinated individuals are not likely to pass on COVID to, you know, unvaccinated individuals. Um Yes, Jeff, I'm 64, had COVID in November, no symptoms. I've been traveling since July. I'm going to California in April, South Carolina, the beginning of May, and then riding my motorcycle to Florida the end of May. I have no concerns about traveling. Jeff, did your caller want to stay home forever? I'm guessing the rest of us are going to be out there um, wanting to keep the – um the economy going. Jeff, I think the variants are an issue now, even for fully vaccinated individuals. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I Right now there, there's no evidence that says that these things aren't that the, the vaccines we're getting right now there's no evidence that says that they're not good for the variants. But my God, if that's going to be the case, there are all these variants out there. Are we now going to be told, no, we have to lock down for the next three years because you keep getting all these different variants that are there? I'm sorry, people just aren't going to put up with this, and if the CDC is And look, here's what's going to happen. We, You know this. At some point in time, they're going to say, okay, these travel restrictions, well, well, never mind. Just like they did with the six feet versus three feet, never mind. You know that they're going to come to that conclusion, but I think a lot of people are way ahead of them on this point. And if you want Exhibit A, like I say, look at what happened at Mitchell Field today. Look at all these airports across the country that are starting to come back. And the more and more people get vaccinated... I think the more and more people are going to start living their lives normally unless the cdc and anthony fauci and some of these other public health experts can come up with a really really good reason backed by empirical evidence as to why they shouldn't jeff wagner on wtmj i know this infuriates some people who think joe biden can do absolutely nothing wrong But I'm telling you, his refusal to have a press conference is just flat out weird. It's been over 55 days since Biden was inaugurated, and the last 15 presidents all held press conferences within their first th- 33 days in office. Still, you, Biden Biden refuses to meet with the press, and even a lot of the liberal media, the Washington Post editorial board, they're going, "What what is going on here?" And this idea that he's too busy. Oh, give me a break! I mean, he, he's, he's out, you know, touring, you know, trying to promote, you know, his his Recovery Act and his stimulus package. I, I just. For, for everybody who says, well, you know, there's there's no there's there's no here, here. You know, people shouldn't be making fun of this. People shouldn't be questioning it. My question is, why not then just do it? I mean, shut everybody up. Prove that you're up to it. Go out, answer questions from what's going to be a fawning press corps for the better part of 60 minutes. Prove you're up to it. And then the whole issue goes away. The longer Biden goes without having a press conference, the more red flags there are. And I don't know why they're not doing it. But it seems to me it would be easy enough, especially with the criticism he's now getting, including from, again, a lot of the left-leaning media outlets, that he refuses to meet with the press. It's almost like if if there's no there there, then why don't you just go ahead and do it and don't say, oh, he's just too busy working. (laughs) Now, come on. I mean, I think that the fair conclusion might be that you have some aides who are concerned about, hey, just putting him out there in an unscripted setting and having him just have to answer stuff off the top of his head. He, he might show himself to be less than presidential. I don't know what the case is, but when you go this far along without having a press conference or making a live in-person address to Congress, it tells you that maybe there is something going on. Don't know what that is, but if he wants people to stop criticizing him for it, well, maybe all he has to do is have that press conference. And if he doesn't, you wonder what's up with it.
0: Back for more,
1: here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold, millions were laid off, the stock market plunged, and investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st at 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World with our very own Steve Scafidi. This free webinar is open to 90 fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. To find out more, please visit the features page at WTMJ.com and sign up today. It's free, but it is limited to the first 90 people. Um, okay, let me let me back into this this cancel culture story. I uh, I, I was streaming Netflix, and there's there's a sh- there's a series on Netflix that I find to be absolutely riveting. It's called Last Chance You, and what it does the first four seasons or five seasons, whatever, however many there were the first four or five seasons focused on junior a junior college football program across the country. And, I mean, the junior college programs, what happens is you have the, – they, they're, they're sort of last chances for kids. You have these kids who are, are good athletes, but for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't get the grades. Maybe they had disciplinary problems. Maybe they just – again, something had come up or, or whatever. They, they they couldn't get a Division One scholarship. And, of course, if you can't get a Division One scholarship in football, that means you're probably – You know, any chance you have of playing in the NFL is out the window. So the first couple seasons of this focused on these these junior college football programs, and they'd pick these personalities, and and you'd show – you really got to see how how tough this was because, you know, junior college football, it's just – it's – it's a completely different world, and the kids don't have scholarships, and and it was kind of interesting because it focuses on these kids who are, you know, trying to make it with their dreams, but again, there's there's issues with a lot of the kids, et cetera. All right, so the first couple seasons did football. Over the weekend, I think they dropped the new season of Last Chance U. But this year, instead of doing the football teams, they they did a basketball team and they're focusing on a junior college program. And this is last year. It's the, it's, I I haven't seen all the episodes. I think I'm at the last one now, but it's focusing on East LA junior college, which, and this was, so it would have been that started the, the season started in the fall of 2019 into 2020. And, and I think, I think what happens is at the very end, of the season gets canceled because of COVID. So, But, but it, it's the season that they play through that. And it focuses on these basketball players um, who, in one case, there's a kid who went to Penn State and then – you know, got into drug problems and crime problems, and he ended up losing his scholarship. In other cases, there's kids who you know hope to play Division One basketball, but again, it, it's grades or it's w- whatever, and, and they're they're there at this community college trying to you know get noticed by you know, Division One coaches and, and get in. And it's 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 just a fascinating program, and it's incredibly well done. And I, I admit to me, it's it's kind of like popcorn. I'll sit there and. I think there's seven or eight episodes this year and I, I mean I'll, I'll watch three or four at a, at a time it's just it's enthralling to watch these and and the coach is an incredible personality who's you know trying to deal with all the these kids who have these issues and all and the team is really really good and he's trying to like keep everybody together and you've got the kids that are complaining about you know why should be playing in front of him and all that so it, it's really good but but here's what has really struck me this junior college team um there's there's one white kid on the team. All, all the rest are 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 black players. And the one thing that I admit to being sort of shocked by is the fact that that the, the use of the n-word. I, if I were to count, my guess is during a a 1-hour episode of this, you would hear the n-word used a hundred times, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating because they're they're just all the kids are mic'd up and they're playing basketball and they're they're using that word back and forth, talking to each other, and it, it's just, it's I guess I still find it jarring, but it's almost like my my gosh, if we're talking about, and I understand it's different if a black person says that to a black another black person as opposed to a white person using it, but it, it's almost like it's it's just. You know, if back in the '60s, if you would say, "Hey man," well, instead of saying, "Hey man," th- these these players they're they're using the n-word back and forth, and it's just kind of this accepted thing. And I remember just watching it, going, "Wow!" And and my guess is. Maybe that's just what people of that that age or in the athletics are, are doing, but it, it's kind of, it's sort of jarring that it it's so normalized, including the fact that the coach is using that phrase and the assistant coaches are using that phrase. You know, it's just, it, it's kind of jarring to me. Now, I give that as the backdrop because the use of that word had the potential to, to cancel the career of an up-and-coming country star. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The guy's name is Morgan Wallen. And you might remember this. A couple months ago, he's and, – and, and Wallen, my sense is he's kind of a punk. And he's coming home one night after a night of, of drinking to his Nashville home. His neighbor has a, a, a camera that, that's kind of uh, focused on, on the street in, and it, at at Wallen's house. And so Wallen comes in it's it's late at night and he's clearly been drinking and he's been dropped off by some of his other friends and you know Wallen yells out and uses that word. You know, and says, "Hey, take care of this guy. He's blank." And, and then we go on from from there. And so that that video becomes public and as soon as it becomes public what happens is that the cancel culture goes into full-blown let's cancel mode his talent agency drops him country music stations all across the country say we're, we're not going to play his his records anymore um there's he's dumped off of uh tv stations um etc and radio stations they're not playing him um there's a question whether his label is going to continue to to carry him or not matter of fact his label might have even dropped him for a little while so this is it i mean he he says this word which he shouldn't have said and he's he's a punk okay there's no question about it but that the use of that word on that one occasion this this kind of gets him him canceled And again, I I found it somewhat ironic because, like I say, you can't watch Last Chance You without hearing that word every minute, it it seems. And to the point that I'm going, wow. But, but here's the interesting thing that's happening. Ever since the the cancel culture moves in and says, okay, we've, we, we've got to, we got to keep him off the radio. We have to, you know, have his record label drop him. We're we're not going to play him on country music stations. Well, here's the interesting thing that's happening. Um, his, his album. That's out. And this has been going on for six weeks. Apparently, his album has now spent nine consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It's the first country album in history to do so. Um, in fact, in the last five years, only uh, the only other album, Drake, the guy from Toronto, his in 2016, he topped the chart for 13 weeks. Um, but the album has sold 2.25 million album units overall, which includes streaming and 201,000 pure album sales. So what's happening is, despite the fact that this has got all this attention, et cetera. Six weeks after this happened, the album still is number one. People are still downloading it. People are still listening to it. And in part because of demand, what's happening is country music stations are, again, are starting to gradually play the guy's songs. So he's on the way back. But in this case, part of the reason why he's on the way back is he apologized for what he said, said he needs to do better, and that's clearly correct. He apologized, but at the same time, let's face it, if the fans had abandoned him, I think it's pretty clear that he would have... Well, he would have probably just been relegated to the musical dustbin of history. What's happening though is the fans are voting with their pocketbooks and they're they're streaming the music. They're downloading the albums. They're listening to the guy 6 weeks on the, the at the top of of the charts. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the Accent Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right. I I guess I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, all right, what we're seeing in the real world is is blowback, not because anybody thinks that use of that word by him that night was correct. At least I hope nobody thinks that. But more importantly, because I think there's a lot of people out there, especially the guy's fans, who say "This, this is an overreaction. The fact that the guy used this term, which is no excuse for doing that, but the idea that You know, we're, we're, we're gonna drop him from the radio and that this record label is gonna cancel him and all these things. I think people are starting to fight back against the cancel culture and this is one of those examples. People saying, look, if we like this guy and we like his music, we're, we're gonna continue to support him and to heck with what political correctness is. 855-616-1620, that's the academic mortgage talk and text line. I think that you're going to start seeing more and more examples of, of backlash to the cancel culture where people, people watch, see an example of somebody engaging in, in bad behavior. No question about it, but then refuse to buy into this idea that, oh, you know, here's somebody that we, we can't listen to at all or that they need to lose their livelihood. Or in the case of, you know, somebody like, um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne's wife, Cheryl Sharon Osbourne, that here you, you, you defend Piers Morgan. Um, because he's being accused of being a racist because he, you know, said something about Meghan Markle. And now there's this push to, oh, get her off TV. I think people are starting to respond. I think there's a backlash. And I think this is a classic example of that. I believe that his record sales are probably higher than ever in part because people are responding and saying, look, we're not endorsing what the guy did we're not endorsing what he did, but this is an overreaction. 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right, here's a text. Yuri, Jeff, your show has been exceptionally good so far this week. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Yuri. I'll work on it. 855-616-1620. To me, this is the kind of the backlash that's out there to the cancel culture. Um, n- nobody is this this country singer Morgan Wallen, he he's drunk one night, he's videoed using a word that he should not use, he's apologized, and now what you're finding is that the fans haven't abandoned him. As a matter of fact, if anything, they're they're buying more and more of his records, his albums, etc., and I think the answer is he's going Going to be back bigger than ever. Is this the way you respond to the cancel culture, Joe and Jackson? Hi, Joe. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, I don't have as much of a problem with the idea that the fans are supporting him, just considering how fervently he apologized. I mean, I think that if he, there was no apology attached and and the context of his use of the word in the first place was uh you know directed towards a person of color, I mean, yeah, if his fans are still supporting him, then I mean, they got they got problems, but. I don't think, given the scenario in the context that it actually exists, there's not as much of a problem with with him making a comeback.
1: Yeah, and right because you're you're right. It wasn't like he was in the in the context of that he used this. It wasn't like he was using it. I, look, I think it's an offensive derogatory term, and I don't think anybody should say it. So that, that's kind of where I am on that. Absolutely. But but he wasn't right. he wasn't directing at this. Oh, you're a blankety blank blankety blank. He was like, hey, take care of this guy. He's my blank. You know. It's, so thanks. Yeah. Right. It was a, right. It, thanks. For, I mean, it it, it, was, it was a different context. Now again, I'm not going to defend the word, which is one of the reasons why. I I started this with that kind of description of Last Chance You because it's it's a it's a great show, but it, it really this season in particular because it, it's more intimate in that you're, you're focusing on basketball players and it's got a lot of the stuff uh, they're they're wearing mics on the court so you can hear the interactions back and forth and I admit I'm just. I'm kind of stunned that this is. It is common. The use of that word is commonplace. Now, admittedly, it, it's a black basketball team, and there's a black coach, and so I, I get that it's. I get that it's different. Although I candidly think it's a bad word, and I think the world would be a better place if people just, you know, didn't didn't use it. Um period. Jeff, as a police officer in the city of Milwaukee, I have kids between the ages of 18 and 30 of all ethnic backgrounds using that word on a regular basis. I believe his fans realize that it wasn't done maliciously. Jeff, if we cancel anybody who makes a mistake or misspeaks, um, we will all be canceled. However, I have no objection to canceling people who continuously push and promote, you know, the in uh, inappropriate or divisive or exchange messages, Jeff. I think uh, there's a correlation between using the N-word and the lack of education. I, I don't know. I mean, I just again, I, I, I think, I, I think the fact that if if we could get that world out of society, and if we could have people of, of all different races agree that we're going to make a commitment not to use that word, I think the world again would would be a Better place. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, not only do I believe that people are fighting back, but also that this is just the beginning. I believe most people are tired of canceled shows, books, and things that some people might be offend- find offensive. I think it is getting um, ridiculous. Jeff, this reminds me of the CD's explicit warning labels in the late 80s. It did one thing, make album sales skyrocket. Guns and Roses, Motley Crue, um, they all wanted the uh, warning on that. Um, Jeff, not only do I believe that people are fighting back, but I think that this is just part, uh this is just the beginning. Jeff, you're correct. I listened to Country. I did not even know who he was. Now, everybody knows who he is um well there is there there is this element of of that that's out there and i guess and and part of it is this this is the way people respond to things and and this is it's what happens that's why i led this topic off by saying it's really to to me this is what happens when the free market system clashes with with the cancel culture and you, you have the the guy that says this admittedly stupid and offensive thing he apologizes for it but that's not good enough that the requirement is okay we've got to punish him we've got to take him off the radio we've got to drop or, or his talent agent has to drop him we have to like uh cancel his, his bookings because he, he can't be doing that the record label has to drop him we can't put the guy on tv and, and what happens well it's then when the free market kicks in and the fans say you know what you know this is this is overkill in this particular situation and we're going to stand by and we're going to support him and i'm sure there's an element of curiosity too let let's check out let's see what all this controversy is about I, I i haven't heard more than one or two of the guy's songs so i don't really have an opinion one way or another about that i i do think That you're going to see more and more of this stuff as you have these immediate reactions saying, "Okay, we're going to try to we're going to try to cancel these people. We're going to try to get rid of their careers. We're going to try to destroy them for a momentary lapse in judgment or an error or whatever. And I think people are now starting to respond and say, look, that. That ends up going too far, and we'll we'll figure out the balance at some point in time, and again, a lot of times I, I wonder when you get some of the reaction to this stuff, I really wonder whether it's people that are truly offended or whether people just think that they're supposed to be offended. You know, the other example of that was the Creighton basketball coach who's giving the, the post-game speech and he mixes his metaphors and he says, we, we've got to stay on the reservation. And I, I don't even know what that means. I don't think he knows what it means. But, you know, he ends up getting suspended for, you know, a game because of what was clearly a slip of the tongue. Now, you know, his players liked him and I think, you know, ultimately the the college Brought him back, but I had people saying, Oh, he should be fired. He should lose his livelihood for that slip of the tongue. Really? Sometimes you can go too far with this. It's 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live
0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so Mike Spaulding, the um they're, they're picking the jury in Minneapolis. I think they have like, uh, what is it, Derek Chauvin? Is that how we pronounce mm-hmm. his name? And it, it's been going on for a week, yeah. I think, right now. People, uh, and this is the, the police officers accused in connection with the, the, the death of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people ask is, well, how, how can it take so long to, to pick a jury? and it's because they're they're trying to find unbiased people. And one of the ways you do it is through, if anybody's ever been a jury, the process is called voir dire, which is where the lawyers ask questions of the jurors and you're trying to find jurors who might be biased for or against the particular side and you wanna have fair people. Um, And the, the, the lawyers get to ask questions of the potential jurors. Now, when I was a prosecutor, I was in federal court and the, the difference is in federal court, the lawyers don't get to question the jurors directly, the prospective jurors. You submit questions to the judge and you ask the judge to ask the questions. But in the state court, you you directly interact with the, the jurors. The question that I always wanted to have asked of a potential juror was, because you you'd ask them about their work things and habits and you'd believe somebody just because they're a police officer etc. The one that I always found to be the most interesting was do you have any bumper stickers on your car <laughs> and if so what are they? Really? Oh, I, I, because it's fascinating because you you would you would find out it was just it was an amazing question because you 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 really if you really want to find out somebody's and I, I say biases, and I don't mean that necessarily in a sort of bad way, or, in a discriminatory way. It's just, if you want to find out, you know, what, where people are at in their life and what they think of. Well, yes, I have a, I, I love the NRA, or I have, you know, no justice, no peace on my bumper, whatever th- those things are. And I thought it was just incredibly telling, and I'd always want to know that question, because you'd find out, you'd go, boy, that's not how I read this particular juror that they've got this bumper sticker or, or that bumper sticker on. So I was thinking of that when I, I told you this. That Somebody just texted me, Jeff, I'm stopped at a light behind a car. The car has two bumper stickers. One says, free Stephen Avery. One says, free Brendan Dassey <laughs> on the back of it. And I, and I remember thinking, and then the note goes on to say, I guess, uh, you know, rape and torture and burning a body isn't offensive to some people. But I am thinking, Who's driving around with a free Stephen Avery bumper sticker on their car and do you try and scrape it off before you sell it <laughs> <laughs> That's, that we, we I, I don't know that I've told this story before but it's no secret my, my late wife and I had a had a different view of politics and and she was a big lefty and I think I was the only Republican she ever voted for when I ran for office in 94 and I'm not actually positive about that but but you know so during the Obama year she was a big fan of Obama and um, she wanted to put an Obama bumper sticker on her car, which is, is fine, except I would drive the car from time to time. And we said we had to go back and forth as to how to do this. We actually did come up with a, a solution, which was a, um, it was a metallic stick-on bumper sticker. So what would happen is, it was her car, she drove it most of the time, she'd stick the Obama bumper sticker on, on the car, and it, would, it, was, it was a magnet, and so it would be there, and then on those occasions where I'd have to drive the car, I take it off and put it <laughs> in the back seat. It's how it's how we ended up compromising on that. But now, if you if you want to if you want to know what a person really thinks, go the bumper sticker route. Because first of all, do you have a bumper sticker on your car? Oh no, no, yeah, me, me no. neither. It's well, well, why not? Why not uh, I'm just like the obsessive clean car person. Okay, and so. My brain immediately goes to what's the paint going to look like when I try and take this off, or what will it look like, you know, four years down the road? And usually they don't look great because they're either faded or ripped off. So okay, so yours is just it's it's not that. Gee, you don't want to be identified by a particular bumper sticker or an ideology. Yours is just I, I think it's going to look like crap on the car. Yeah, basically yes. Okay, got it. Um, I I don't I don't have bumper stickers because I just I think they're they're, they're kind of cluttery, but also. Again, I don't. I don't necessarily want to share how I feel about things in that way. I just, I because I guess I think you kind of make cars. Your car becomes perhaps a a target for for things. Oh, you've got a Trump bumper sticker on. Boom. Or oh boy, you've got a you know coexist bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Or it's also. Um I, I remember not that long ago i I got cut off on the freeway by somebody who was drive some jack wagon who was driving incredibly irresponsible and they've got the, these old you know I support Russ Feingold bumper stickers on <laughs> I'm going, okay, you know hey buddy, you know that was that was a long time ago. Our number I, just one segment eight five five six one six one six twenty that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line as long as we are talking about the, the, the kind of bumper sticker culture, will you put bumper stickers on your car? why or why not? Spalding says he doesn't want to do it because he thinks it just junks it up. I'm reluctant to do it just because I I, I don't want to share that much. And I think when you do put these stickers on, you kind of make yourself a target for different things, whatever whatever side of the aisle you're on. And I guess I, I just don't choose to share that much. But 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have, will you put a bumper sticker on your car? Why or why not? And if you've got a bumper sticker on your car, you know, what does it say? Um, Now, some of them you see are kind of innocuous. It's, you know, proud parent of, you know, honor roll student at such and such academy or whatever. Okay, are you a bumper sticker guy or gal? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. If you're just wondering what got started, I got a text from somebody in a different context saying they were behind a car that had a bumper sticker that said, Free Stephen Avery, Free Brendan Dassey. And I'm thinking, who puts these bumper stickers on the car? But it led to the larger discussion of who puts bumper stickers on their car nowadays, anyways. Um, like, like I say, Mike Spalding doesn't do it because he thinks it devalues the car. I don't do it because I, I don't generally like the looks of the thing. But more importantly, I, I don't necessarily want to share like, the, those different views, if I, I wouldn't put a political bumper sticker on my car anymore just because I think it makes the car a, a target for somebody who disagrees to, to want to single it out. 855 Matt in Milwaukee. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. What do you think?
2: I have... I have two bumper stickers on my car. One is a Green Bay Packers bumper sticker, which I will gladly display till I die. <laughs> right. And the second one is for a uh, musician who I think deserves support. He's an independent musician, uh, but I agree with you. I would never put a political bumper sticker. I think you, like you said, run the risk of somebody putting a brick through your window these days.
1: Yeah, just just uh, right. Just because they they disagree with the things like that. No, thanks, God, I appreciate thanks, uh, um, Bob in Show. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Good afternoon Jeff. How I'm, are you I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
2: Good yeah, for the same reasons uh, that uh, that your cohort there right. related I'm pretty uh, pretty conscientious about my vehicle but I, but I have reverted to clings window clings okay and sure. I, and I have some of some of those honor flight Vietnam right. veteran thin blue line.
1: right right so it, if if you're gonna do that with the window clings though in general, it's going to be a patriotic thing, like Vietnam veterans, something like that, Honor Flight, something that's that you would hope isn't very controversial. Now, Thin Blue Line maybe might be controversial in some signs, signals, but but in general. Pardon me? I,
2: I, and the clings immediately come off. You right. Can swap them from vehicle to vehicle.
1: Right, yeah. Like I say, that that's why when we that that's how we were able to reach an accord on the um, on, on the Obama sticker. It was like, okay, well, you want to have the Obama sticker on your car, hon. That that's fine, but just I'll I'll take it off and put it in the back seat. I'm not going to throw it away. That's fine, but when I'm driving it, it'll be a different perspective. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I have two kids in college. We have two window stickers, one for each of their universities. It is easy to take off. Jeff, I have a couple Brewers decals, but that's it. My set was my. my My son, my husband, has several Wisconsin sports locos, decals, and also an Apple one. Jeff, I'm with you. Um, No politics at all. I have a green buck sticker on my yellow Jeep Wrangler. No one here in Dallas can figure it out. People know I'm from Wisconsin. They ask me because they wonder if I'm a deer hunter, which, of course, I'm not. I've got the bucks thing, and they think I'm a deer hunter. Jeff, I don't put a bumper stickers on my car. It makes it look junky. I also admit that when I see some stickers, I um, I judge the driver. I do judge the driver based on the bumper sticker. Jeff, I agree political and religious bumper stickers can be divisive and can put a target On your vehicle. I'm all for the types of bumper stickers that support a local cause, whether it be a charity, a sports team, a proud parent, etc., things that are less controversial while still being positive. Jeff, um, I'm in EMS. My bumper sticker says, I, um, Narcan, your honor student. I thought it was funny, um, till it became true. I think this is sad. Jeff, I have two bumper stickers on my car. They are there so I can differentiate my Greyhound Odyssey van from the 75 other Greyhound Odyssey minivans in the elementary school parking lot. It's an alumni sticker from my college and Lego minifigure stick family. No political stuff on my my car, you know, it, it is interesting with all the all the different like SUVs or the minivans that are out there that are are ubiquitous. The question is, how do you differentiate the vehicles? And one of the things that I, I used to do was. You know, I mean, I I, and I think technically you weren't supposed to do this, but I'd I'd like hang like a like a a set of like beads or something or around the rearview mirror just simply so you could say, oh, that's that's my car as opposed to somebody else. Jeff, I'm a car guy. I have never seen a bumper sticker that looks good on a car. And I'm with you. I'd rather not outwardly express my opinions like that. Jeff, how about the guy driving a Ford F-150 with a sticker of Calvin from the Calvin and Hobbes cartoons peeing on a Chevy? Well, I've seen those. At least least you kind of smile about about those. Um, But at the same time, I don't think I want my wife to come back from vacation and to see that sticker on the cars. Um, Jeff, I have no stickers, but I do have Brewer license plates. Well, nothing wrong with that. I don't have any on my everyday car. However, my old Wrangler has just one. They're lying. (laughs) That's what it says. If people ask me who they are... I am sad that they vote. So it's kind of like one of those things. What exactly is that? Um, 855-616-1620. John in Whitewater. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi,
2: thanks for taking my call. Hi, John.
3: I agree with you. Uh, You know, if I put a bumper sticker on my car and somebody disagrees with it, well, they'd feel entitled to vandalize my car.
1: You are right, or at least be perhaps motivated to to vandalize your car. How that guy voted for Trump, that guy voted for Obama, that guy voted for Biden. You know that person voted for Ron Johnson, whatever. You know it's it, it's. I mean, we're, we're so tribal nowadays, and and people are so upset with each other that yeah, you you're you're just you're like putting a target on your back by putting that bumper sticker on your car.
3: Right. If I did have a bumper sticker on my car, it would be
1: Tommy Bartlett Water Ski Show. There you go. Thanks, Nicole. Right. Something that, that, and of course, the the Tommy Bartlett Water Ski Show and the Dells is no more either. But uh, again, just disappointing. Um, Jeff, I'm not that passionate about things that I will put a sticker on my vehicle, and I don't like the way that bumper stickers look. Jeff, I've just got beer stickers on the back of my car. Well, there is all that as well, uh, Jeff. The closest I get to political is my aspire to be um, as badass as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. However, the vehicle that most people probably um, cringe at—it's covered in stickers. Yeah, that's again—it's—it's it's, it's sort of interesting. But I, I got started on this because again, I was—I was thinking about this text, but also. You know, if you really want to know about people, you you ask about bumper stickers. And I know that sounds silly, but I will tell you, I learned in picking juries, I, if you really wanted to find out where people were, you 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 ask what the bumper sticker on their car is, and it tells you a lot. I think it should be I think it should be a question that every law- lawyer asks a potential juror because sometimes you'll be surprised at the answers you get. Back with more in just a minute.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMj
1: it, These are just a couple of local examples of why why we get we have to get back to normal sooner rather than later we 've been telling you about this all day. Polish fest, which was Polish fest, which was one of the, the two remaining ethnic festivals that were still on the, on the summer calendar. A uh, Polish fest was supposed to be in in June. The 11th through the 13th, and then Irish Fest in August. Festa Italiana, German Fest is already canceled. Pride Fest is canceled as well. Polish Fest announced today that they're, they're, they're canceling 2021, simply saying that even though it's March, you gotta make all these preparations, and they don't know what the world's gonna look like in June. So this is now the second year in a row that Polish Fest is going to be canceled. And again, it's, it's it's an unfortunate thing you understand why people are, are doing it because you know who knows what the world is going to look like in 90 days and in the city of milwaukee who who knows what the rules are going to be some people say well go ahead and have the festival and and do it so so go ahead and have it but so if they limit the capacity to 25 percent of the grounds who cares well the organizers care because there's a certain amount of fixed expenses that they have and you, in for all these festivals you need a critical mass of people you need X number of people to make to make it worthwhile for the vendors um, to pay the bands all those sorts of things and if you're operating under the assumption that gee well maybe we can have a hundred percent of capacity but if we're only gonna it, maybe it'll be 25% maybe it'll be 50% who, who knows what we're gonna be able to do you really you can't plan and you can't figure out budgets because you don't want to go ahead and just do something and then all of a sudden you know, you're know you swimming in red ink. Speaking of red ink, um, Summerfest, which of course canceled, had to cancel last year, and, and I'm, I'm just a huge fan of, of Summerfest and I think the Summerfest board does a great job. I think Don Smiley does a great job. Milwaukee World Festival Inc, which is the group that oversees Summerfest, um, just announced that last year the organization lost 8.1 million before depreciation and then 17.4 million after depreciation. Um revenue for 2020 was 384 the audits showed support and revenue for 2020 was $384,000 which was less than 1% of the 29 wow the 2019 amount of revenue and support $48 million. Last year, support and revenue, $384,000. Wow, wow. Summerfest, of course, has kicked back the dates from late June and early July. They're going to try to do it this year, three weekends, September 2nd, the 4th, 9th, the 11th, and the 16th, the 18th. I I cannot tell you how much I hope that they are able to pull this off. Again, the, the problem that Summerfest has is you need a critical mass for everybody that says, oh, let's just, you know, let's, let what's the big deal? Let's operate, if you're used to say, okay, we're going to have 800,000 people, oh, let's just limit the capacity to 400,000. Well, that's all well and good, but you're not going to have enough money to pay the bands. You're not going to be able to attract the fees you need from the vendors because the fees you charge the vendors are based on, you know, what the attendance is going to be. And if you're used to saying, Okay, here you know we we want you to you know we we want you to have your hot dog stand here, and you know based on projections we think you're going to be able to you know you're going to have two thousand people that walk past your hot dog stand in any given fifteen minute period, but all of a sudden well gee we're operating with limited capacity you're only going to have a thousand people op- walk past your hot dog stand well the guy that runs the hot dog stand says that's fine but I'm not paying anywhere near as much money um for the smaller crowd so it's It's the ongoing problems of the pandemic, and it's one of the reasons why The the more people get vaccinated, the quicker I think we need to get back to normal. And by that, I mean if we're going to have these restrictions that are put in place, I think that uh, they have to be explained clearly why, okay, for example, people who have been vaccinated just can't go out and and interact with groups. And and they they got to figure that out pretty quickly. Okay, let us completely and totally switch gears. I I call this topic – It's not my money. Why should I care? Now, we've just seen and I've talked about this on the program before. We've just seen a a massive return to the great society. I mean, this is, you know, we, we you know, Tommy Thompson. And, and Bill Clinton, Republican and Democrat, in the 90s, you know, they, they made their their bones by saying, we're gonna end welfare as we know it. We're gonna get people back to work. We're going to try to eliminate the dole. And they they really worked to reverse about 30 years of of policies that said, hey, we're gonna let people be on welfare from cradle to grave, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're moving in the opposite direction now. I mean, under the guise of COVID stimulus, what we see is massive changes where without work requirements, people with kids are going to get thousands and thousands of, of dollars. You're not going to have to do anything, not going to be controls over how you spend it. And that's something that Democrats want to make permanent. They believe that, OK, remember when Bill Clinton ran and said the era of big government is over? Well, now we're, we're going back and the, the sentiment is the era of big government is back. And, and, and that's the idea. I see all these different polls that are out there saying, "Well, these Republicans who oppose the stimulus bill, they may be in trouble in two years because the stimulus bill is very, very popular with people." To which I say, "Of course, it's popular with people because it's giving people free money." I mean, who? <laughs> I mean, look, if the government is going to say to me, "Hey, Jeff, you know, on, on Tuesday," We're going to put fourteen hundred bucks in your checking account. We're going to put fourteen hundred bucks in your wife's checking account. And if you've got two minor kids, we're going to put another, you know, twenty eight hundred dollars in your checking account. We're just going to give you this money. Well, of course it's going to be popular. I mean, everybody wants to get quote unquote free money, right? The problem is there, there's no such thing as free money, and that that has to be paid for. Now the stimulus bill is being paid for by by borrowing. We're essentially going into debt. So your the, the check that you're getting in your in your account, your kids, your grandkids are going to be paying for that. All right. So that's that's that. But that's not where the Biden administration wants to stop. The Biden administration is planning another massive round of, of spending. Social programs, infrastructure programs, all these things. And they're already signaling that they know that they can't just keep the print, the printing presses running. At some point in time, they gotta figure out where the dough is going to come from. And what they're looking for is major tax increases. And, and But the the argument is, okay, well, we're going to tax corporations more, okay? Now, the corporations, of course, you tax the corporations more so they don't make as much money. That has an impact on how many people they hire and things like that, but we'll we'll leave that aside for the second. So they're going to tax corporations more. We're going to go after the evil rich. And in Biden's world, it's people that have an adjusted gross income of over $400,000. They're not paying their fair share. That's the way the argument goes. But the problem is, that only generates so much money. So the other thing that's being kicked around, and matter of fact, I'm looking at, uh, Janet Yellen, who's the Treasury Secretary. Um, she was on ABC this week, and she was, um, she was asked uh, about this, this Elizabeth Warren wealth tax. Because what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and a number of other people want to do and what Joe Biden has specifically left on the table is impose an extra tax on top of the income tax, impose an extra tax on the on the uber wealthy. And what they're looking at, what Elizabeth Warren wants to do and what Biden is leaving on the table is impose a tax every year. On, on not the income that people make, but if you are over a, a certain a certain level, if you've got, I think the number they're throwing around is if you're a multimillionaire, you have $50 million, which is a lot of money. What they think you should do is you're, you're just, you're not paying enough in your ordinary taxes and you won't be paying enough if we increase the tax rates. What we want to do is we want to look at all your stuff and figure out how much stuff you have on a daily, on a regular basis. Let's figure out how much your houses are worth. Let's figure out how much you have in, in cash. Let's figure out how much your cars are worth. Let's look at all your assets and figure out what they are worth on a yearly basis. And then every year, we want you to pay 2% of your net worth, your wealth, your wealth, We want you to pay that as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be real clear here. I don't have 50 million bucks, and I'm I'm never going to have 50 million bucks unless I go out and buy one of those lottery tickets and hit it. So this is not going to impact me in any way, shape, or form. But even though it is not going to impact me, at least the way it's drawn up now now who knows once you get the wealth tax in you know maybe they're going to start lowering the limits but but at least right now this is not going to impact me but even though it's not going to impact me i think making people the wealthiest people pay a tax on their assets every year I think it is an incredibly bad idea. I think it is fundamentally unfair. I think it is anti-American, and I think it is going to be counterproductive. But some people say, oh, let's soak it to the rich. Look at these people. They have multiple houses. They've got all this money that's there. Um, why should they have all this money and none of the rest of us do? 855-616-1620. What do you think about the idea of a wealth tax making people, in this case the highest, the wealthiest people, making them pay a percentage of their assets every year? I think it's a bad idea. I'll explain why. We'll discuss. Back
0: to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 8556161620 that's yeah I can mortgage talk and text line okay there's no question that biden is going to propose raising tax rates on on people with incomes over $400,000 and, and corporations. I, I think that's pretty much a given. Whether it passes or not, I don't know. But but the big money that's out there is this idea of a wealth tax that Biden hasn't called for but hasn't ruled out, but the people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are pushing it. And what it would do is it would identify the people who have the most money. And it wouldn't tax their income. It would tax their assets. So anybody over a certain level, um, in addition to your income tax, they would you would have to every year calculate how much your stuff is worth and then pay a two percent, two percent of what that stuff is worth um, could potentially generate a ton of money. At the same time, it it's it, um, well, it, it might not be as successful as people think. OK, let's start with Steve in Chicago. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah,
3: thank you very much for taking my sure. call. You know. Here's the reason why this proposal is floating around, okay? Since the inception of the federal income tax laws, people, the investing class, which are the people who would be affected by this 2%, they are literally free of paying any taxes during the lifetime of their investment as it grows, okay? You invest $100,000 in a business, and over the next 40 years, it becomes worth 40 or $50 million. You know, bully to them. There is not a penny that's taxed during that period of time. And then when it's sold, it's sold to the capital ga- it's taxed the capital gain rate of no more than 20% and in many industries there's no capital gain rate. Okay well, well
1: wait but let, Nine, let's stop eight, there. Okay. When, when they take the money out, okay, you're, you're so let, let's say I start a business and my, my business yeah. is growing. I'm taking money out of my business every year, for example, to, to pay my salary and stuff and when I take that money out, I'm paying taxes on that, right?
3: But that's a fraction that's mm-hmm. a fraction. people the people who accumulate great wealth in America don't accumulate it by getting a, a, a salary because income is taxed at a high rate yeah. okay it, It's the non-taxed accumulation of value over the decades as compared to a waiter, a waitress, someone a, a school teacher, someone on the factory floor every year. They have 15, 20, 25% of their money taken from every year. If that was not taken out of their paycheck, they'd retire as multimillionaires. And that's the, that's the structural Inequity in our taxes. So, do
1: you think that high earners don't pay taxes now? Let let's take the let's take the the business owner, the guy that that had that better mousetrap, has started the business and now has hundreds and hundreds of people that work for him, or has purchased all these different fast food restaurants and things like that. Do you think he he's not paying taxes somehow?
3: He's not paying. He is not paying taxes. On the increasing value of his assets.
1: Well, right, he's but he, yeah, but he's paying taxes example, on the he's paying example, tax on the money that that's, that he's he's living on and he's drawing from that. Trust me, I know a lot of wealthy but, people and they pay the taxes through the boat. Pardon me,
3: but, but, no, no, but relative to their wealth, their tax rate is far less than a waiter or a waitress or a working class person.
1: Y- yes, th- they're not paying no, I, no, I get it. Relative, right? Relative to the, the the wealth that they may, in fact, then pass on. I, I mean, I understand that, but it's not like they're not paying taxes. I mean, they're they're taking because because again. What, what happens is that that, that business, for example, they're, they're taking income from it to live and to buy their, their homes and things like that. And they're, they're paying taxes on that and they're paying a lot of taxes on that. And they're using that increased value in the company to go and hire people who are, in fact, working. And I guess see, I just think that's one of these big myths out there that people who are wealthy, uh, you know, aren't aren't paying taxes and aren't paying a lot of taxes cuz they they just flat out do. More importantly, what I think is going to happen. First of all, I I said earlier I think it's unAmerican. American. Part of it is because it is double taxation. I mean, right now, so you if I if I make, I don't know, $100,000. So you make $100,000, you pay tax on that $100,000. If I then take it and invest it or or use it to buy a house, for example. I mean, I've already paid tax on that $100,000. Well, why should every year, why should I have to pay tax again on the value of the house? I'm being taxed doubly. I'm taxed when I buy the thing, and then I'm being taxed uh, again every year. Moreover, let's be realistic. First of all, how do you assess this? And, And what, in fact, is going to happen? See, I always say elections have consequences, and they do. Elections have consequences, and what happens is, you know, one party gets into power and they have a different approach. All right? Well, well, economic actions have have consequences as well. One of the things that you've been seeing go on in this country over the course of the last several years has been corporations that are moving from the United States to other countries. Um, Ireland, for example. What, was it uh, Johnson Controls that moved their corporate headquarters? You know, it, they became an Irish-based company. Why? Because the, the tax climate was so much more favorable. If you don't think that people who are wealthy aren't going to suddenly start to say, okay, that this is fine. If the government is going to start taxing our assets... Not, not just the income we make, but that every year they're going to expect me to figure out how much all my stuff is worth. and and then pay a tax on it, you're going to see a huge migration of wealth to other countries that just don't approach it that way. Um, Jeff, I agree with you. I think it's anti-American. All right, Jeff, I have a question for you, though. How do you propose we minimize the gap between first-class citizens and lower-class citizens? The reason the lower class, and they're talking about economic class, I'm sure. The reason the lower economic class thinks this is a good idea because the pandemic has shown how powerful the rich are, and they've raked in millions during the pandemic, while many Americans are being displaced, losing their jobs. Is there even a way to minimize the gap? Well, the the way you minimize the gap is by, I I think, enabling and emboldening people to better themselves. And I guess I I, see part of this thing is, I can't tell you, I, I have friends who are very, very successful, and they started out with almost nothing. They, they really did. They started out, you know, owning a, a small convenience store and they worked really hard and then they turned that into, I, I don't know, a, a, they own a lot of different stores. Or, you know, they took over a, a family business that wasn't doing very well and through all sorts of hard work and initiative, now they employ thousands of people worldwide. I'm proud to know those people, that those are the types of success stories that you want people to aspire to. And if you create roadblocks to that, I think that what you've done is you've made it difficult. Um, Let's see. um, Jeff, not touching a specific amount of wealth makes it worthless if you don't want to use it because of tax exposure. I talk to retired people all the time who return to the workforce just to limit their tax exposure and drawing retirement funds. Um, It's not a simple matter of hoarding wealth. Um, yes, Jeff, how would someone come up with the cash to pay taxes on property that increased in value? Um, sell a piece of property? Well, well, maybe. I mean, that that's the idea. Okay, you know, you've got three homes across the country. You've got one in California. You've got one in Florida. You've got one in Wisconsin. Here, you know, we're we 're going to you know include that, and we 're going to make you pay two percent. Well, where do you end up getting the money i 'm just saying that I think if if you look at these different ideas, this idea of let 's soak the rich let 's stick it to them and you know why should anybody else care because you don 't have fifty million Well, first of all, I think once this idea takes hold, you know, today it might be fifty million. Tomorrow it might be thirty million, then it might be five million, then it might be a million, who knows where this whole stop the thing stops. It's all about income redistribution, and I think you've got to be really careful going down that route. All right, let's take a break back with much more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So, Melissa, th- today we have a particularly engaged audience. Lots of phone calls uh, and smartphone calls, by the way. Agree with me or disagree with me. I mean, smartphone calls and the text line has just been exploding, again, with a lot of. Particularly, I think, intelligent comments. Again, agree or disagree. But earlier on today, I was talking about bumper stickers, and I was saying that when, when I was a lawyer, one of the questions you always wanted to ask potential jurors is, do you have a bumper sticker, and what does it say? Because you learn a lot about, you You, you know, it, it's something that tells you a lot about somebody that you might not otherwise, you know, pick up. you, you have a bumper sticker I on your do, car? You know, strangely enough, I don't like bumper stickers. But? I don't have one. Oh, you don't have yeah, one. Yeah, I have no bumper stickers. I do
2: have a decal of my alma mater on the back okay. window, but it's that's not the, it.
1: It's not the thing with Calvin and Hobbes, the little Calvin from the <laughs> Calvin no. and Hobbes cartoon piece. <laughs> on something no, no okay no nothing like that no I, yeah you got a good point though point there you, well, you've learned, it's but, all out there but but, but anyhow what, I, what was kind of funny is we, we talked about that and so now people are texting me pictures of their their cars with their bumper stickers mm-hmm. and stuff and there's some pretty creative ones my favorite one that's come in so far is um, the the bumper sticker Okay, well, this is the the thing. Jeff, I know it's a little late, but I had to wait to get home to get the photo to you. (laughs) Um, My son surprised me by putting this on my old truck. I, a number of years ago, it always makes me smile. And I even replace the truck bed, but keep the gate in order to keep the sticker. So it's on like the gate for Aww, the truck bed uh-huh. and stuff. Okay. So this is what the bumper sticker says. I have to edit this a little bit, but the bumper sticker says proud parent, you know, because everybody drives around with a proud, a proud parent, parent of yes, a, you yeah. know, an undergraduate. It says proud parent of a great kid. Now this is the kid that put it on the guy, on dad's bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for proud it. parent of a great kid who is sometimes a butthead. But And that's okay, <laughs> although it doesn't say butthead. It yeah, uses yeah, another yeah. word Something that I else. choose to write, you know, that I choose not to say on oh, the radio. That's funny. Proud parent of a great kid who is sometimes a butthead, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, the kid oh. puts it on as a parent's <laughs> thing, and it's, it's all right. I, that's cute. I, it is kind of mm-hmm. cute. So, you Do know, you keep,
2: have any uh, bumper stickers?
1: No, I was telling the story earlier. My My late wife and I had different views on politics. And on her car, she had an Obama sticker, yeah. and she just had a great pleasure that I would occasionally drive her car drive me with the Obama bumper sticker but what what the our deal was it was she got one of those magnetic ones, you know the metal ones that could just stick on and off, mm-hmm. so the deal would be whenever as long as I remembered it, whenever I was going to drive the car like take it to get a mission test or whatever, I take the bumper sticker <laughs> off you know and then it could just kind of stick it back yeah. on again, but no i um i I, I never really got it. I, I feel like they're so hard to get off that once you put one on, ew, you right, better really like right. it. That, that was Spalding's beef. And, and secondly, I think particularly nowadays, mm-hmm, but, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just now I understand there's stuff that's that's benign. I closed Wolski's right, or right, things yeah, like yeah. that. But the, these ones where you, you know, express to the world your opinion, it, it's just. People are, are just so crazy about this stuff nowadays. It's just it's an invitation to yeah. here come key my car or something like Some that. Some of them are pretty clever. I, I would oh, yeah. I would say I don't mind reading them. I think I usually get a good chuckle if I'm you know at a stoplight or something. But right. um, but yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, me neither. But that proud parent of a great kid <laughs> who is sometimes a butthead, although it doesn't say butthead. But that's okay. All right, there's a really interesting story in the Business Journal today. We're going to talk about this, and then then I'm going to segue before the Brewers game. I do, I do want to talk about the controversy. In Involving Ron Johnson, who certainly seems to find himself in more of his share of controversies. But there, it, it's it's interesting. It's in the Business Journal today. Our our partners, um, TV news. Now I am a news junkie. I I, I am, and I tend to. I, I do watch like local news broadcasts um i i I watch local news broadcasts I mean what typically happens for example is when when we're eating at home we we tend to eat around five thirty and that's it and we'll and so that means i'll I'll catch. Uh, my wife in particular likes the ABC News broadcast. So, you know, with David Muir, she likes that. And so, you know, we'll we'll catch maybe, you know, part of that and part of the local news beforehand or part of the local news afterwards. I I don't watch the news at 10 o'clock that much, but I I mean, I I get a lot of it through, again, the, you know, the different web sources and things like that. But anyhow, um, here's the headline in the Business Journal. Channel 12 was the most watched Milwaukee TV newscast during the key February period because they do what they call sweeps where advertising rates are set and, and um, this information interestingly and perhaps not to any surprise channel 12 apparently gave this information to the business journal the other tv stations haven't commented on it the most popular local newscast in milwaukee is on abc affiliate channel 12 at 5 p.m weekdays um, as the station posted an across the board ratings win for the local newscast channel 12 all right and so they topped the ratings for three local newscasts when the most viewers are tuned in, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., and 10 p.m. And then number four, I think, was the channel six news at nine when it's not up against, um, you know, it's not up against other newscasts. But here's, here's what I think is the interesting aspect of this story. And it which leads to what I want to talk to you about. Okay. Channel 12, which ranked number one across the newscasts, it achieved this by essentially, Keeping the same audience as it had a year earlier, while all its other competitors declined. So, in other words, it it held steady. Channel Twelve held steady, didn't lose viewers, and all of the other stations dropped. Um, Apparently, I mean, this is the way the story. Overall, the combined audience for six key news time slots for all the stations in Milwaukee that would be five six and ten um, all declined by sixteen percent or nearly a hundred and seventeen thousand households from February 20 to February 21 the fall uh, six key news times so 6am 4pm 5pm 6pm 9pm 10pm the smaller audience was spread across all the local newscasts for all the all the different people watching ratings declined by 16% or nearly 117 thousand households from February of 20 to February of 2021 so the numbers went down channel 12 maintained number 1 but they didn't grow their audience they just held what they had Everybody else lost viewers. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right, what what's what's going on? I mean, is on, on the one hand, I mean, you have okay. I mean, February. To February now, February of 2020 was just before you know the, the COVID sort of shutdowns. Now February 2021 is just out of the of the COVID shutdowns. I mean, what's going on? Have people are people burned out on news? Is it because the election cycle? was just so relentless and, and people because I, I, I mean look, I, I, I talk to I talk to people. people who are fans who say, Jeff, we're, we, know, we, we have to tell you we, we just had to dial out during the election season for a little while because we just you know we, we just we could kind of we had kind of had it. So is it the election season that drove viewers away and that people haven't come back yet? Is it COVID? Or is it just less interest in local news? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a couple theories, including, I I think some of it is COVID-related. I think whether it's radio listening or whether it's watching TV news, stuff ends up being a habit. And I think one of the things that's happened with COVID is people have, have gotten out of their normal habits. Maybe it was you're used to getting up at six o'clock in the morning. You know, you're used to getting out of bed and you turn on the TV and you're watching one of the local newscasts while you're, you know, getting ready and getting dressed and brushing your teeth and having your coffee and your cereal. But now that you're working at home, you you don't, you, your, your pattern is different. You're, you're not necessarily getting up at six o'clock in the morning. Maybe you get to sleep later. Maybe it's the whole thing of gee, I, I used to do what you were talking about, Jeff. We'd we, I'd come home from work on a, on a particular time, and you know we, we'd have dinner at the same time every day, and we'd have the TV on in the background. And, and now we're not doing that anymore. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this drop off is less because people aren't interested in the news, maybe a little bit turned off with all the politics and the election stuff, but I think it, it's more just an effect of how COVID is changing people's lives, and in this case, changing people's viewing habits. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. what do you think? Are you watching as much TV news as you used to? Why or why not? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, if you're just tuning in, I find this really interesting. The Business Journal just did a story on on TV ratings, the local news in the February sweeps. And and Channel 12 did the best. But they did the best by by holding the audience they had from a year ago. All the other stations dropped. And I think that the number of viewers was down like 16%. What's going on? Now, I tend to think that people still want to see news. I just think part of it is that COVID has thrown off viewing patterns. Uh, that the people may, maybe you'd watch the six a m news when you're getting up and getting ready for work, but you know you're you're not getting up at six o'clock any anymore maybe it was you were used to turning on the the five o'clock news you know when you come home from work or the six o'clock news but now okay it's it's different because maybe you're stopping working at four thirty and eating earlier eight five five six one six one six twenty. I think it's more likely temporary, but I could be wrong let 's start with Mike on the northwest side hi Mike.
0: Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Do I think? don't watch news as much as I used to, and the reason is because it's, it's all COVID stuff. It's like 90% of it's COVID, and you hear it once. You don't have to hear it uh, 10 times a day or whatever.
3: You get more news uh, on the bar that's scrolling along the bottom there than you get from the people talking on the news.
1: Yeah. Well, there there is. I, I mean, I think, as a matter of fact, I'm getting a lot of texts that make that point that uh, for a lot of people, if – if they want the news, it's kind of like the problem that newspapers have. If they want the news, they want it on their own timetable. You know, if you're if you've got a couple of minutes, you've gotten off of work at four thirty. I mean, you, and you can go onto your websites, you can see whatever you want. You don't want to have to wait till five thirty or six or ten o'clock or, or whatever. You want it when you want it, and now you can get it twenty four seven.
3: Well, yeah, but the other thing is, just over overdoing the COVID thing. Yeah, uh, no. Not-
1: no. About else. no, no. Thanks for calling. Matter of fact, that that that's the other common sentiment that people are 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 COVID they are COVIDed out, and it. I, I, I will tell you, somebody who does a general interest talk show and is responsible for three hours a day, fifteen hours a week. You always try to do that balance because I understand COVID is something that has affected us. But at the same time, and, and there, there's still developments, but I, I do also appreciate that there's some people that, God, it's COVID, COVID, COVID. We we, just, we don't want to hear any more about this. There, there's just nothing new. And it's always that balancing act between something that is certainly a dominating story in our, our life and has been for the last year. How do you work that balancing? Let's talk to um, Bob in Brookfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call.
1: Sure. What do you think?
2: Uh, Stop watching Channel 4, TMJ News, and this is from like a second or third generation that's watched it. Watched John McCullough, Mike Jacobs growing up, back when there actually was news, investigative news. Now, for example, you watch the 10 o'clock news, which doesn't start at 10 because they put two minutes of commercials on the front. And all we had are a couple of highlights and happy talk yeah. uh, before we break for the weather and for the sports. I've become disillusioned at the news because of and it's called editorial bias, if you will. Mm-hmm. If I watch cars being burned, buildings being looted on North Avenue, those are protesters. And if I watch the Capitol, well, this is an insurrection. It's a riot. Yeah. This is terrible. Yeah. So for me, the content has become so politicized and skewed that as a conservative... I will not contribute to watching it anymore, and I'm sorry, but it's just no alternative.
1: Well, no, Bob. And by the way, you don't have to apologize. I mean, that—that's. I mean, now some news directors might say, "No, we play it straight." But I, I do look. I, I agree. I, I I watch the news. Uh, On occasion, and then I'll go back and I'll look at stories, for example, for things to talk about. And and there's clearly there are spins. There are ways that stories are presented. And there's no question in my mind that whether it's intentional or unintentional, those are presented with the particular reporter's slant. And that slant tends to be more left than right, and I, I do think that that turns some people off. But at the same time, that's always been the case. And and I'm trying to figure out, okay, why do you have a 16 percent decline? I I think that there's a lot of conservatives that just gave up a long time ago on on watching the stuff. Again, I think it's I think there's more things than that that's going on. Kelly and Slinger, Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff.
2: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have to agree with your other callers. Uh, first and foremost, I can't take any more COVID talk. Right. And now it seems like the local news is obsessed with any new strains that are coming out of COVID. So yeah. you can only hear so much of that before you just can't take it anymore. Right. Um, second thing is that I find that the local news, and I stopped watching national news years ago, but local news is very anti-law enforcement, and it seems like they're always trying to make uh, police officers look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, just the uh, the anti-conservative um, take on everything. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't stomach it anymore.
1: Well, I think that, um, no, Thanks for call, and I, again, I, I think that, I think that there is again intentional or not. I, when when I watch a lot of stories, I see exactly what what you're talking about. It's that the spin that's kind of given to a a particular story. And again, if you talk to the news directors, they'll deny it. But the truth is, you you can sit down and you can watch this, and and you can tell you can tell. In seventy five percent of the cases, you know, where where the reporter's head is at on this particular thing, it's the language that ends up getting used. Now at the same time that that's always been the case. I don't know that it's it's worse now than it was like six months ago or than it was a year ago but but it's definitely an, an issue that that's out there. It's one of the reasons why you had all the success back in the day of, of Fox News. Now, of course, that's coming under fire as as well but I do think you look at this stuff and what you find is there, there, there is an issue that I think news directors have to figure out how we're going to deal with. You can try to write it off just as people are burned out on COVID and by the way, I think people are burned out on COVID and just COVID-changing listening habits. I think that's explained some of it, or viewing habits. But I, I think you're, you're going to watch this. And um, if the audience is still declining A year from now, for example, across all these different metrics, it's really kind of a cause for alarm. Maybe what happened with the newspaper industry 10 or 15 years ago. All right. When we come back, John McCure is back from vacation. Melissa is in. Greg is here. We're going to find out what everybody has to talk about on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.